This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Nate Aiken here with the Christ Centered and Clear podcast, where we want to have conversations about seeing Christ in all the scriptures in a way that is clear and life changing. And you can find out more about Christ Centered and Clear at our website, ChristCenteredAndClear.com. You'll find there sermons, articles, and many resources to, to help you. Uh, and also, please, with this podcast, review it, rate it, share it with friends. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I have with me today on the podcast, and we're going to hear from each one of them just briefly who they are, but have again with me my uh, twin brother, John Aiken, uh, who helps me lead this podcast. And then we also have Jeff Hay who you've heard from in a previous podcast, Pastor in Ireland. And then we have with us uh, Jason Redberg. So brothers, thanks for being on the podcast. All right, well, let's jump in and let's kind of go chapter by chapter. And and the way we'll kind of break this up is, particularly if somebody's, you know, riding in the car, they don't get, don't have a chance to break out their Bible and and don't have Daniel memorized. So we're going to go summary of the chapter, then what are the Christ connections, and then uh, how did you apply it to your people? So not just, hey, let's... Let's see the cool Christ connections, but then what is this? How does this affect our people? And so, Jeff, I want to start with you. Um, I've listened to a sermon you've done on chapter one, but give us just a brief summary of chapter one. Then, uh, what were the Christ connections, and then how did you apply it to your people? And then I'll come to John and Jason to, for any additional thoughts they have on each chapter, and we'll kind of go that way, uh, hitting each guy as we go through the chapters. Chapter one, then introductory chapter to the book of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem and taken the captives, uh, Daniel and his friends that we're all familiar with, off back to Babylon to the foreign land. And, and you have to put yourself in their shoes and think, how would you feel being ripped away from home, your people, where your God dwelt? And then he takes them, and this is in exile, and then he basically enlists them into a uh, an apprenticeship scheme, you could say, get, wanting to give them a Babylonian makeover. He chooses the the guys, an elite group with brains and brawn. Uh, they're clever <laughs> and good looking, so apparently they do exist. Uh, and these these good looking, clever guys are then told to learn and assimilate fully with Babylon culture. So that would have been a tricky time to be a faithful believer. Uh, uh, of God, but they b- said yes to lots of the culture. They took on P- Babylonian names. They got educated in Babylonian culture, uh, they literature, information that would have been not compatible uh, with Old Testament teachings and belief. That's uh, for sure. So they got involved, and yet we know the story, how they decided to draw the line. They resolved, I think, in verse 8, not to defile themselves by eating the meat, the food that they were offered, the, the, the meat and the wine. Why? It's hard to know exactly why, because uh, whether it was somebody offered the idols and yet the vegetables might have been, whether it was because it was unclean, but then they rejected the wine also, or maybe this was just a step too far for them. And they th- said, this is where they'd draw the line. And so they said, nope, we're not going to 
eat uh, the, the meat and drink the wine. And they said, test us. So Daniel and his friends, uh, now known Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say, give us vegetables and water and see who looks healthier at the end of the, the test. And of course, they looked healthier uh, and were rewarded. Uh, and at the end of the chapter, they were placed in high positions. So that, that's a little bit of a summary of the chapter. Hey, on that kind of fine point, Jason, John, anything y'all would add to particularly why thoughts or interpretations of why they didn't eat the king's food? I have a thought. And I, I, again, I appreciate any pushback, but I, I, I want to agree with Jeff that it was not it was not a kosher issue. Um, and I don't think it was a meat offered. I, I just think it was a, de- a decision that they made like this. This is where we're going to, like he said, draw the line Th- that that table fellowship kind of thing is a huge deal for uh, Israelites, obviously. And so they just said, look, this is this is one place where we're going to show we are different and we are unique from these people. Because, I mean, honestly, if you go read in Dan- Daniel chapter 10, verse three, Daniel eats food and the f- king's food and he drinks wine. And so it just seems like this was a, a decision they made for a time to show that they were they were going to be, you know, to use our New Testament categories uh, in the world, but not of the world uh, is, is my is my take. But again, I'm, I'm happy to have pushback on that. Jason, any thoughts? Yeah, I wouldn't push back on on that at all. Some of the things that that uh, I brought out and of course, I, I provided the caveat of I don't know exactly uh, why they they drew the line here, but um, perhaps it was uh, I think Sinclair Ferguson brings this out that that many a man has been uh, has had all of his defenses dropped by the comforts um, of this world. And so there was just a wisdom that God had given them to say, hey, if we go this final step, um, it might it might just bring all those defenses down and we may may go in full bore. The other one I, I speculated about was perhaps it's this issue of dependence. Um, so we want to make it clear that we are dependent upon God um, for everything, that he will sustain us, that we don't need this from the king, but we will, our allegiance is to God and we therefore depend entirely upon him. And we just want to, so in a sense, we want to put God on display um, through eating and drinking to the glory of God. I, I do think, I forgot to mention, it was so that Rick Warren could come up with a diet plan <laughs> that's good. for people. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's why. Uh, but to, to Jason's point, like I do think, uh, one of the things I try to bring out is like my father-in-law, whenever he prays for a meal, uh, prays, Lord, bless this to the nourishment and, you know, of our bodies. And I don't ever do that. And I, and I, but it, when I preached through this, I remember thinking to myself, you know, it's not, it, God is the one who decides whether or not food nourishes us. God is the one who decides whether or not medicine heals us. Like, like you could, so it, we just don't want to think that this is automatic. So, so that, that dependence angle, I think is really good from Jason because it's, I mean, God is the one who decides that these things are the means by which, and he's the one who decides whether or not they bring nourishment. So that's good. All right, Jeff, back to you then, brother. So, how then does Daniel one? We believe all the scriptures uh, point us to, to Christ. How does Daniel one uh, help us see uh, Christ? Yeah. Well, we want to see Christ. I mean, he is there. I mean, the the big danger of the book of Daniel is we just make 
Daniel the hero uh, rather than pointing to God the hero, but also Christ. Uh, well, I mean, we see God being the hero in chapter one here, and then we'll see in that God gave them over to Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 2 this was all God's plan that they are in Babylon he had prophesied it in Isaiah but it was the Lord who gave them wisdom and gave, found favor in the eyes of the official it was God who gave them knowledge it even says that in verse 17 so God has done it all so how do you point to Christ I think there's a couple of ways that we, we see we're going to see Daniel as a type of Christ later on and you could link him as a type of Christ here, uh, as someone who finds favor, just as Jesus found favor with God and man. Or you could see it, I think you could tie it to Christ and how God's doing it all. God's giving, God gave wisdom, God has done all this, and, and it's all of God's grace, and that can point to Christ. But with this being a standalone section, chapter 1, I thought verse 21 uh, was a, a key sort of verse uh, uh, as we see Cyrus introduced and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And you're sort of going, why Why mention this? Why, why bring in King Cyrus here? I think ultimately it's to bring hope to those who are hearing this message because King Cyrus would be the, the king of Persia who ultimately the Babylons would fall to. And so here we have, it looks at the very beginning of the chapter as if the Babylonian gods are winning. They have taken the temple articles, they have brought them to Babylon. Looks like the Babylonian gods are winning. But by the end of this section, the winners at the beginning are going to be the defeated ones. Da and Daniel, God's person, is outliving them all. So what we have here is if they're getting pummeled, uh, the Israelites have been taken into captive, uh, but Babylon, who represents the city rebellious against God, as we know throughout Scripture, ultimately he is, Cyrus is identified because he's the one that's going to cause mighty Babylon to fall. And the enemy is going to be brought down. So if you're hearing this, you're going, ah, Yes, we've been captured, yes, but look, Babylon's going to fall to King Cyrus, and Daniel, God's servant, is outliving them all, and he'll ultimately point to Christ. So I think this can be pointed to Christ through that the Lord's going to bring victory. Babylon, the enemy, is going to be defeated, ultimately through Christ and through his death and his resurrection, winning the battle, triumphing over his enemy. So I went with Christ and pointing to Christ ultimately through, why would you include that little phrase about Cyrus? He does come up later in chapter 10 and we know throughout scripture uh, and other parts in an Isaiah that Cyrus is God's instrument to bring about and to lead the captives back home to Jerusalem, really. John, anything you would add there? Amen. I think it's 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 one of those things that, like, it, it, as you as you make the connection to Christ, long after the Roman Empire is dead and in the grave, Jesus is alive uh, and still around. And so, I just I, I think that you know some scholars think it's just a historical note there, but it it's certainly one that gives hope, as he said. 
Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of Scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of Scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Jeff, then how did you kind of apply that to your people? So just, you don't have to give all your applications, but some specific applications as far as how you showed this is Christ-centered, but also clearly applicable to our lives. Well, and this is Christ-centered. So, but they are an example as well. Uh, these friends and how to live as exiles in uh, a foreign culture. How I applied it then as well as we see God's a hero and we need to be trusting. In many ways, the main and how I concluded, we need to be trusting because Christ's going to win at the end, no matter what trials we're going to go through. But throughout, I would have been applied it. At the same time, we're to be involved in the culture, uh, be engaged in the culture, just like these guys were. Sometimes we forget in Daniel 1, uh, we focus on the thing that Daniel say and the friends say no to. We forget the amount of things that he said, that's okay, I'll get involved in that. I'll change my name to Babylonia. I'll learn Babylonian education, uh, which could be controversial subject, you know. Uh, we'll say nothing, Jason, about homeschooling. But you can be uh, educated and yet maybe still faithful. Uh, educated in things that are not in line with um, God's revealed word, but you can still not sin. So they said yes to much. So they were involved in the culture around them, uh, in the pagan culture. And yet, then we could still apply it. Uh, They weren't to compromise. Uh, They were to be different in the culture around them. And we can only do that if we're continuing the trust that we're going to be on the winning side in the end. So you can apply it to so many different ways, and we were able to, at our time, apply it regarding the abortion referendum. We need to be different. We need to be willing to take a stand here. And despite the flack that we would get, these guys were going to, their lives could have been at risk for making this decision, the servant was pretty much saying. So there's there's abuse that we might have to put up with, but we can be trusting because we're on the winning side. Jason, come to you. You, know, you preach it the most recent. How did you kind of apply it uh, to to your people? Yeah, I mean, we were. Um, it's it's something that I alluded to before. Jeff has said a lot of it just more eloquently uh, than than I could. But a lot of it just <laughs> a lot of it comes down to again our dependence upon God. We find ourselves in an unfamiliar place. We we feel like an exile. We know this is not home. Uh, we are confronted with difficult decisions that aren't always crystal clear. I mean, this should just drive the people of God to their knees in prayer, in total dependence upon God, saying we don't possess the wisdom 
uh, to navigate the difficulty here. We need a God who not only listens to us uh, and grants us wisdom, but is sovereign over all things. Um, I just don't know how else you give comfort and assurance to people who feel like um, this isn't home and I don't always know how to navigate this world. Um, I mean, what a what a glorious text. John, I want to come to you and also ask a specific question. So I mean, one of the things that's been brought up very clearly, particularly about the king's food, is this was kind of this. They drew the line and said, hey, we're, we're going to be kind of in some ways assimilated into this culture. And in some ways, we're not going to be assimilated. We're not going to be comfortable here. We're going to draw the line. How would you then apply that? How did you apply it maybe in 2016? How would you apply that now just as far as how do we – what are some areas where we can say we're in the world, we're in this culture, but we're not of it, we're for it, we, we want to see people prosper, but at some place we're going to say, no, we're not going to be marked by this. This is where we're not going to say, hey, let's just be comfortable here. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm trying to remember and I'm looking at my notes now to see specific ways that I did that. Um, you know, I, I think I, I did some, I did, I did a, multiple different ones, but like, just like not going along with, so, so like kids going to college, and there's a lot to, to Jeff's point. There's a lot in college you're going to learn. You're going to engage in a lot in terms of the culture. Doesn't mean you have to be involved in all of the partying, et cetera, that some of the kids are doing just because it would be easy, just because it would make you popular. In the same way at work, you know, bad mouthing the boss, I think is one. And like just, I just use some of these just real practical at, at school. It's easy to make fun of the kid everybody else is making fun of. Uh, and it's easy to go along and you can make friends that way. And, uh, and it would be uncomfortable if you actually stood up for that, for that person. But that's, that's the, the God, you know, the godly thing to do. And so now I did, again, I want to emphasize here in terms of practical application that they were not showing up this official. They did not, they were not being arrogant or sticking, you know, sticking it to the man. I mean, they're pulling into the side saying, give us time, test us. Let's see how this goes. And so they, they practice their faith with great courage, but with great humility, uh, and that's what I want from 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 our people. I don't I don't want the world to see us as an, an, a nuisance who who are a bunch of jerks. Um, and so we can be different without being jerks. And uh, I think that's really important. And I think also just this this idea of being faithful in the small things, like when it just if you're not going to be ready for the fiery furnaces and the lions dens, if you're not ready like for daily meals like you're you're not faithful in the daily meals you're not going like there's this idea that man if i if i'm ever called upon to really risk my life for god i'm going to do it and it's like well i mean if you're not living for him just faithfully every day then what makes you think that you'll be ready for that and so i just i love knowing that you're preaching through this book you're you're setting that thing that those things up because you know what's coming later yeah and unfortunately in american christianity right now i mean it's part of that we're gonna be seen as jerks for things we believe and that's okay but but I think that the chest thumping and beating is is an unfortunate way that world sees us. Here's an illustration I use, and I, again, I, I don't want to take too much time on this, but just be, be helpful. You think about Mike Pence uh, having been ridiculed for the Billy Graham rule, uh, and just I remember early on in my ministry, I had a friend who was being sent by his work to a conference, and there was him and a, and a female coworker were supposed to go. They were supposed to ride together. And he's like, what do I do? And I, and so I just said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to your boss and say, I'll pay for her to rent a car, follow, you know, just I'll out of my own pocket, I'll pay and make sure that we stay separate. I'll make sure she's safe and gets there on time. But I've made this commitment to my wife. And so I'm not, I'm not going to be, 
I don't want to be alone in the car with her. Would you allow us to do this alternative in it? And he did, and it, and it, it worked out well, and it, it obviously was a, a way for him to witness to his boss. And so, again, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that's binding. I'm not saying everybody has to do that or anything, but that was just one example of uh, somebody who did this and who did it with humility. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.